Hi friends, welcome to the Ian Khan Show. My guest today is Rohit Bhargava. He is um, an innovation and marketing expert and the founder of the non-obvious company. He spent 15 years as a marketing strategist for Ogilvy and Leo Burnett and is the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of six business books and also teaches marketing and innovation at Georgetown University. Rohit Bhargava, welcome to the Ian Khan Show, the Aftershock special episodes where I'm interviewing contributors to the recent book, Aftershock, which our friend John Schroeder put together 50 years after Alvin Toffler wrote the book, Future Shock. Wow, that's, that's a mouthful. But you're one of the contributors. You're one of the most prolific futurists and trend setters of our, of our current age. Welcome to the show, and tell me how you're doing today. Where are you, and what's going on in your life? Well, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area, just, uh, just outside the city. Um, and, um, you know, like many other places in the world, we are, uh, we're sort of located here and, uh, and staying here. So it's been a bit unusual for me to not, uh, not be on a plane, but um, I'm used to having my, my office here. So it's, uh, we're adjusting, and... Uh, the future is uh, is in de fact uh, shocking right now, so <laughs> it's yeah, pretty, it's a pretty good conversation time. I hear you, and you know what? One of the things I'm realizing that Toffler didn't write in the book that hey, we're we're going to have an outbreak of disease, and this is the year 2020. It is such an interesting time today, and and I appreciate, and I know that we're all going through uh, hardships in terms of health, in terms of business, economy. Yes, yes, yes. But I really believe that unless we are not tested in times like this, we will never find out who we are, what we're made of, and what our capabilities are. So let's stay on the positive side um, of the current age of where we are. And let's start off with what inspires you? What inspires you to be um, someone who can talk about trends? What is it that inspires you? I take a lot of inspiration from the idea that there are there are amazing people out there doing really interesting things. And the problem that a lot of people have is that they don't have the time or the technique to be able to find a lot of those stories. And so what they end up doing is just looking at and paying attention to the things that happen to cross their path, uh, the things that people who they know happen to post on social media the things that come up on the same sources that they always read. And so we've ended up with this world where we basically become more informed by reading more stuff, but more narrow-minded at the same time, because all of the stuff is the same. And I'm really inspired by the idea that there's so much out there and so many people who don't think like me, uh, that if I can be a voice to encourage people to pay attention to those other points of view, maybe we can end up with a world filled with people who I call non-obvious thinkers, the ones who put those pieces together, who don't necessarily say the world is only like this and everybody who doesn't think like me must be an idiot. Uh, I don't believe that. Uh, and so that's what I try and put out into the world. So trends is a way for me to think about that. But uh, what I care more about is trying to get people to think in this way, not as much about this is the trend or this isn't the trend. Yeah. Uh, many times, quite often for me as well, personally, and both of us are contributors to Aftershock. So whoever is watching and viewing this podcast, 
together with uh, a total of 50 different futurists from different aspects of life. Some of them are doctors, some of them are scientists, some of them are writers. And it's been a humbling experience for me to interview them and, and find out who they are and what they do. So uh, you and I are contributors to the book. Book is about 50 years after Alvin Toffer wrote the book, uh, Future Shock, what the world really looks like. And there's so many things that happen on an everyday basis. People often ask me, what do you do as a futurist? Because they're expecting you to be like a Nostradamus who's going to predict things because we visioned it in a crystal ball. Can you please help me answer that as well? What do we do as futurists? What do you do as a futurist? Well, I've uh, often rejected the term futurist uh, because I think that it, uh, it's much more accurate to describe what a lot of our fellow contributors to Aftershock uh, do, which is pay attention to what's going to happen a long time from now. And a lot of times what I've described myself as is a near futurist, so much so that, that for the last 10 years, I've written this book called Non-Obvious that I've done a new version of every year with 10 new trends that change every year. Uh, so the lens of that and, and doing the same book over and over and publishing it over and over uh, is a little bit unusual because most of the time you won't see that as the way of thinking about trends, the way of thinking about the future. So for me, what I try and do is I try and observe what's happening right now and pay attention to what I call the accelerating present. And so every one of the trends that I'm predicting uh, has a basis in what's happening already. And the prediction is that it's going to accelerate, that more people will be paying attention to it. So I don't really have a lot of um, prognostication about things that might happen. Uh, instead, I'm usually talking about stories that are happening right now and suggesting that this is something that more people will be doing in the future. Now, let's talk about your book. You have more than one book. Uh, Non-obvious is not your only book, correct? Correct, yeah. And, but Non-obvious has been uh, ongoing for many years, as you mentioned, and you, every year you refresh the content, you put in new insights. That's such an incredible way to maintain that kind of uh, storytelling over the ages. And I hope you continue doing it for the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years so that in the future we can go back, check out your book and say, hey, let's see what, what we were talking <laughs> about in that era of, I don't know, 2020 when the COVID virus hit us or, or whatever time and era that will be. But tell us a little bit more about your book. If you can talk about some of the trends that you're observing now that potentially will be in there, help us understand and engage what's happening in the world today that we should pay attention to. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And you know, the thing is, it's changed a little bit for me. So the first trend report I did was in 2011. Um, and the last uh, book that just came out in January was Non-Obvious Megatrends, and it was the 10th anniversary edition. And actually, at that time, I announced that it's going to be the last time that I do it as a book. Um, and the reason for that was because I kind of had this 10-year project, and it felt like long enough for me to look at these insights over time and say, well, this is where I think they're going to be headed. And so the Megatrends book really tried to look backwards over the last uh, 10 years and uh, spot some patterns and say, well, these are some of the macro shifts that are taking place. And this is what I believe is going to happen next as a result of that. And I still might release some insights uh, and, and kind of trends because I'm just used to doing that, right? Like I'll probably want to do that. 
but I'm not going to do it as a full length book uh, anymore because it's just, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, I just wanted to, to look at things a little bit more broadly and make this brand a little bit more broad as well. So for a long time, the brand of non-obvious that I've been building has been about this trend book. And now it's much more expanded. So in addition to the trend book, we have a whole guidebook series that's meant to compete with the dummies guides on various business topics. I have uh, more than a dozen authors who are all writing different guides on different topics. We have a podcast that's uh, in production right now. We have a training series. We have a book awards program. I mean, all of it is a piece of this non-obvious brand. So for me, I really wanted to blow it out and make it much bigger, which is why I ended up kind of not doing as much just around this one trend book. Absolutely. And that makes sense. Tell us a little bit about, more about what are some of, and is the book out right now? Can you talk? It's out right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's out right what, now. what are some of the trends, uh, maybe one or two that you think are worth watching for, for all of us? Like, what is it? Yeah. So one of them that I've been talking about a lot, just with this whole kind of virus world, um, is a trend that I called flux commerce. Um, and flux commerce was the idea that uh, the way that we um, there was two things. One is the lines that existed between industries for a long time have already been starting to blur uh, over the multiple years. So uh, everything from kind of Red Bull not being an energy drink and being a media company now to Taco Bell opening a hotel to uh, Crayon uh, starting a makeup line to Apple getting into credit cards. I mean, all of these things are a company that used to be in one vertical saying, okay, we're going to shift and, and blend the lines and move between the verticals. Um, that was one element of that particular trend. And the other element was the way that we buy and the business model of how we buy is dramatically changing in many different ways. So even before this whole virus thing, you had uh, delivery only restaurants, um, places where they just had a kitchen and you would just order and, and it would get delivered and they had no place for anybody to sit already. Right. Um, and you had cars changing their model to subscriptions, uh, software offering subscription-based um, business models instead of buying the software outright, which is what you used to do, right? You can get a, ma a mattress delivered to your home instead of strapping it to the roof of your car and doing that whole thing that we, we used to do. Uh, so this shift has been happening for some time. And I think what is going to happen now is it's just going to accelerate uh, to be much faster because you've probably seen the same thing as somebody who talks about innovation and new ideas. One of the big problems with doing that is you go into a larger company and you talk about innovation and they like thinking about it, but they're reluctant to act on it because what they're doing right now is already working. And so they become complacent. Mm -hmm. And I think if anything, this, this virus shifted world has forced everyone to understand that you can't be complacent because what you're doing right now can't continue to work. And so what I'm hoping is that that'll lead them towards those innovative ideas that perhaps in the past they might've killed, yeah. but now they might be more willing to try. Yeah. No, really, really well said. And, and of course there's an entire new world of thought that's coming out of this virus situation. Generally um, different industries are, uh, of course, paralyzed and all of that, but they're reacting in a different way. Now look at within all this chaos, companies like Amazon are really doing well and they're hiring more people and they're doing whatever they can or, or online deliveries are taking uh, place more. So the business model is really shifting. 
work from home has become is so common right now that uh, it's worth seeing that when things get back to what they were, what will people's perceptions be and how will they want to, you know, work and, and operate their company. So there's definitely that uh, big shakedown that has happened. Uh, and I was speaking with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with some folks earlier today, and their industry is very um, uh, non-reactive, doesn't change much, it's very structured. And this whole virus is a shakedown on their foundation on that industry. And we'll see how that comes out to be. But I think it's between uh, how retail as an example is, is shut right now. And what do companies do? Many of them, yes, I think will go out of business, generally speaking, to be real. But many of them are changing the way they deliver things. Many of them are leveraging new technology and going online and doing e-commerce um, and customer demand. Everybody's at home shopping or, or watching Netflix uh, or, or just buying things online. So there's this customer demand as well that's yeah. changing everything. It's so super connected. Everything is so super connected that, it's, that sometimes you have to look at the dependencies within industries to understand the shift that will take place. Uh, let me ask you about, uh, let me ask your thoughts about uh, the evolution uh, of healthcare, the healthcare industry, or things such as uh, companies like Neuralink, what they're doing in terms of new tech. Do you think 15 or 20 years down the line, this will be something that we will have electrodes implanted? Do you think it's a wearables? Will we have implants in our body that are just you know, we're adjusted to them. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that that the the more we hear about them, and uh, and I think it's this interplay between our culture and technology, right? Because the more we see these things in science fiction, in entertainment, uh, the more they start to become normalized for us, and we don't see them as, as this totally foreign, different idea. And I think throughout history particularly with science fiction and, and, and many of us who do futurist work, I mean, we're big fans of science fiction. And one of the reasons is because science fiction allows us to imagine the possible future, which then becomes the future because the people creating it are the ones who were inspired by the science fiction in the first place. <laughs> and, um, and so it's this whole cycle, right? And I think that that is going to happen because ultimately uh, it's going to be better people it's going to help them right i mean you think about like the implantables or the wearables or ingestibles or whatever people are calling them right yeah. uh, many of that much of that technology is very preventative right and and actually one of the trends mega trends that i wrote about was something i called protective tech and protective tech was just that it's technology that is designed to anticipate what could happen so that we can protect ourselves from it so sometimes it's health related, healthcare related. Sometimes it's, you know, self-healing concrete for the roads or, uh, you know, this technology that allows us to, to protect the world, you know, drones that are protecting uh, the safari from poachers uh, and animals from poaching. These are all examples of technology taking this protective role in a way that positively impacts all of us. Absolutely. And so, you know what, what I, I believe we're, we're just looking at an initial phase of, I mean, last 10 years have been great. Technology has, and I'm not going to go into the industrial revolutions. 10 years have been really, 10, 15 years have been, we've been growing pretty fast. 
uh, next 15 to 20, yes, we might grow faster and things might accelerate and it might be exponential growth. Many people say it's the era of singularity and machine power overtakes human capabilities. Great, I am buying in with all of that. But what happens to us as people? How do we evolve as human beings? And given today's era, today's time, 2020, March 25th, of the month of March, people are changing because of this COVID-19. Their perception is changing. I'll tell you something. I went to Costco yesterday to buy something and I got shouted by, shouted at by one of the attendants who said, hey, you have to stay away from each other and this and that. And I was just getting into the lineup. And I felt very alienated. I said, hey, people, are people becoming really unfriendly because we've been talking about social distancing and it should be physical distancing and social unification somehow? Where are we headed as humans when it comes to the usage of technology? Uh, are we, I think we need to preserve and rescue humanity more than anything else in order to enjoy everything that we're building. So as one of the thought leaders and thinkers and the architects of tomorrow yourself, because you're helping us think, what do you think we should do to be more human? Well, yeah, I think that that is, uh, it's a short-term reaction. And um, if there's anything that we've seen from human behavior, it's that uh, we can get used to just about anything over time. And uh, sometimes we will, I mean, if you look at our reaction to food, for example, right, or warning labels on cigarettes, uh, we know what's bad for us, right? We see it, but we ignore it also because we have more optimism, right? We believe that things will be okay. Oh, that's not going to happen to me. Or it feels good. And right now I think we're living with a lot of fear and anxiety, but it's brand new. I mean, it's only been two weeks or three weeks or whatever, you know, depending on where you live, right? And I think over time what will start to happen is people will sort of become accustomed to that. Maybe they won't just randomly hug strangers or, or uh, the, the two kisses on the cheek or three kisses on the cheek that, that are prevalent in some cultures as a way to greet one another. Like maybe that's not going to happen. But at the end of the day, if, if humanity was going to change the way we interact with one another forever, then that would have happened after the Spanish flu uh, 100 years ago, right? A hundred years ago when we couldn't greet anybody and everybody had to wear masks and everything, from that moment onwards for humanity, nobody would ever have shaken hands again. Nobody would ever have hugged again. But we were up until a couple of weeks ago. So something happened over that period of time, right? Generationally, over time, where people said, you know, it's okay now. It's okay for us to interact. And I think we're all dealing with this whiplash right now of things just happening so quickly that, yeah, you're going to get somebody who yells at you at Costco or something like that. But I don't think that's going to last forever. I think that people will start to get past that. Thank you. So as we become more automated as a society and as people and as industries start using more artificial intelligence and things get automated, uh, obviously we're going to have to find more things to do. We're going to have to uh, maybe go back deep down inside our true capabilities and express ourselves Maybe there's universal basic income, so we don't have to worry about um, you know, working extra hard. Uh, I really believe there's a possibility that perhaps technology can make us 
understand ourselves better, the more technology there's out there, it can help us take a step back from this routine that we've created. And we go back, go to work, and we do all these things. We press these buttons and keys, and we, we stay busy. I think we have to somehow understand that relationship we have with work. And many people are doing that now because they're at home. They're spending more time with family. Uh, and you see all those videos on YouTube and, and TikTok and uh, LinkedIn where people are dancing and they're having fun at home. And they're, it's just amazing to see everything that people are doing because they're stuck at home. So that relationship between us and technology is, keeps me busy and wondering about where we will we'll be, uh, I don't know, in the next five to 10 years. So I'm, I'm yeah, really I, looking forward to it. Yeah, I think that uh, there's a lot of nice, interesting behavioral things that are coming out of this, right? I mean, to some degree, I find myself, at least in the last week or two, I've had way more Zoom video calls than I ordinarily would. Uh, and I'm finding that as a way of making human connections like really valuable, yeah? doing things like this, right? Uh, so, I mean, I did that before, but not quite as frequently as I'm doing now. So that's one piece. I think the other thing that's been really interesting, and it's been a challenge for businesses, but you could argue good for our society, is the consumerism that we're used to doing of like going out and going shopping and buying stuff and it being all about like what we get or the luxury product or where we go. I mean, that stuff's kind of been postponed and put on hold right now. And so nobody's really focused on like, what can I buy and what can I get? And, and I'm going to go shopping and, uh, and do all of this. And, and it's kind of interesting that, uh, that now we have to talk about other things. Like we have to find other things to, to connect about and bond about, right? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. We're, we're heading almost towards the end of our time. Uh, I wish we could have this conversation for a much, much longer time. But how about um, tell us what is the formula of success that you would prescribe to anybody who wants to be more successful financially, health-wise, connections-wise, relationship-wise, given that you can see some mega trends shaping our lives in the next X amount of years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Where does true happiness lie for people and what's your advice to viewers who are watching this? I think it's going to be really important now and into the future to become the sort of person that is difficult to manipulate. And what I mean by that is uh, there are some people who are very easy to manipulate, right? They believe the first thing that they hear from a source that they think that they think is trustworthy. Uh, they are easily angered. Uh, they believe that anyone who doesn't think the way they do must be wrong and must be stupid. They're close-minded. Uh, they're very easy to manipulate. And I think that we all have a chance right now to kind of reset and say, look, you know, we don't have to be cynical all the time, but we do need to get a little smarter uh, and we do need to be a little more logical and say to ourselves, does that make sense? Like what I'm being told, does that make sense? Just logically. Uh, and am I flying off the handle in one direction and being super angry and being manipulated uh, because I'm making it easy for somebody to do that? because we have the access to information. And this is not just about politics, right? I mean, it's also about just like, uh, I, I've been watching uh, probably way too many food documentaries 
about like the labeling on food and how misleading various things are and how having all natural on a package of food doesn't actually mean anything. Uh, these are all the sorts of things that we have consciously let the world get away with. And it's not just this one politician or this one company. It's like the world has been able to, to just share these things because we're not questioning it. And I think if there's anything that I believe anyone who's going to be successful in the world needs to be able to do and, and hopefully teach our kids to do as well, it's be open-minded and skeptical without becoming cynical. And I think we can do that, uh, but we have to train ourselves to do it. We have to choose to do it. And that's what I, if there's one thing that I want to try and help people do, it's, it's that. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think there's uh, profound wisdom in what you said. Uh, don't get manipulated by necessarily things that you see, but uh, also uh, take everything with a grain of salt. But there's no need for cynicism because we all can, I think, collectively make the world, um, I would say, a better place. Thank you. No, that, that really resonates with what I believe in what I think we should, uh, we should really, really do. Uh, tell us where can uh, we find you? Where can people look you up, read one of your books, buy your books? Yeah, the, the easiest uh, place is probably just nonobvious.com. Uh, all one word, no dashes or anything, just nonobvious.com. You'll see the full range of books. You'll see the guides. You'll see everything there. Uh, you can also watch a bunch of videos at my personal site. So it's just my full name, rohitpargava.com. Uh, if you're not sure how to spell it, if you usually get close on Google, it'll help you figure it out. Um, so uh, you can find many things there as well. So either one of those, obviously all of the books are available online at any online retailer or in bookstores when they eventually open back up again. Amazing. Thank you so much. And also Aftershock, I, the book that we were talking about earlier is available on Amazon, I believe. And uh, yes. I'm not sure how much it costs, but it's on Amazon. Your books are on uh, or in Amazon. And so please check out rohitbhargava.com or nonobvious.com. Rohit, thank you so much for your time, effort, energy. I hope you're safe. I hope you thrive and become more successful uh, going forward and, and continue changing millions of lives. Thank you so much for your time. And I wish you all the best. You too. Thank you. Hey friend, this is Ian Khan. If you liked what you saw on my video, then please subscribe to my YouTube channel and be inspired every single day with innovative content that keeps you fresh, updated, and ready for the future. For more information, also visit my website at iankhan.com. 